is this really a creative block like I just can't think of an idea or is there another problem? I think a lot of times people will label something as a creative block but in reality it's maybe that they're overtired and they just they need a break and like you said they need to just kind of step away but it could also be that the person or ourselves feel inadequate I think that's kind of a main takeaway for me all the time when we're when we're working through something and we want something to be something. It's easy to get carried away with whatever that be, that to be process is. I think the first thing I try to do is simplify and and pull back and how are we what are we trying to communicate and what's the most direct way to do that? I feel like I'm at a psychiatrist right now. Yeah, I need a couch or something like this is I don't know if I'm equipped to diagnose this. (laughs) Um, I thought this was just all about poor vacation planning on your part, but clearly we've we've stumbled upon maybe something a little, you know, deeper maybe. Hi, I'm Michelle, an entrepreneur and creative business coach. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a social media and digital content strategist. We're friends with a shared passion for creativity in all its forms. Through this podcast, you'll find ideas to help up your game and share experiences with a community of creatives who understand what it's like to work and create in a digital world. If the episode you're about to hear sparks something inside of you, share your voice by connecting with us on social media, at Pod4Creatives on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So in our last episode, we had just gotten back from vacation, and I think that we had both said that we were feeling really invigorated and excited to get back to work. How long did that last for you? Yeah. So that lasted about a week, maybe a week and a half, and somehow I have slipped into maybe we can call it a creative rut. I don't know if it it can be classified as that or not. But everything I was feeling when I first got back, I am no longer feeling. Why do you suppose? Hangover? No. Hangover effect? No? Okay. No, no, not literally a hangover. Just like, you know, vacation hangover effect. I got back, I drank for a week, and then now I'm just recovering from that. No, not at all. I I was like, hangover? You're like, oh, God, no. (laughs) So what is the hangover effect? Is this a thing? Well, Well, okay, like you go on vacation, right? And then you come back and you're like, pining to be back on vacation. So it kind of like has a an effect on you. Maybe it brings out like more laziness because you're just like you're wishing you were somewhere else where you could just be doing nothing. So oh, like reverting back to wanting to be on vacation. Y- yes. Reverting back to wanting to be on vacation. I guess it could be that I for me think it has a lot more to do with the fact that I'm about to go on another trip and I was looking at my work and my projects and thinking, I can't start something new right now because mm-hmm. I'm going to be gone for two weeks and gone and completely unplugged. I shouldn't say completely. I know that I'm bringing my laptop with me. I can never go anywhere and be completely unplugged, <laughs> but as unplugged as I can be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I was battling with a little bit of, okay, if I'm not starting something new, then what do I do? And also, I think I had talked about this in a previous episode, how this year I have been trying really hard to audit my work, audit my tasks, and try to get over something that internally I didn't know I was struggling with, but kind of learned this about myself in the process that I'm someone who finds self-worth in my work. And I said to myself, I 
don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to feel good only when I'm doing work or feel like I'm serving an audience, even though that's, that is something that is important. I don't want that to define me. So I really took a, a big step back this year from doing a lot of things that I would normally do. And really in doing that found that I was doing so many things that just really did not need to be done. I was doing them mm -hmm. to create more work for myself that was unnecessary. So I think it, it was probably this last week and a half or however, I guess it's been two weeks since we recorded. It has been a combination of not doing anything for the sake of it, but also knowing I can't start something new because I'm going to be leaving. So all of that, I think has just made me feel a little lazy and my business is still generating the same amount of money. I, this is going to sound like a champagne problem. <laughs> it, yeah. My work isn't suffering. You know, no one's upset with me or anything, but I think I'm not feeling like I have the sense of purpose that I once did, which was really mm -hmm. a false sense of purpose. Looking back on it. I feel like I'm at a psychiatrist right now. Yeah. I need a couch or something <laughs> like this is, I don't is know if I'm equipped deep? to diagnose this. <laughs> um, I thought this was just all about poor vacation planning on your part, but clearly we've we've stumbled upon maybe something a little, you know, yeah. deeper maybe. And by poor vacation planning, you meaning having two trips close to each other? Yes. Okay. Although this one, you won't be as close to me as you were in the last one, so I really don't have that yeah. big of a problem. Yeah, I'm not even having a, a layover in New York or anything, so no, you don't no. send me maps. Don't yell at me for not stopping I'll, by to say hello. I won't. I won't. I, won't, I promise. Okay, so really, like lack of purpose? Yeah, for sure. Because my my purpose, for the most part, is my work. I mean, I don't have children. And I think a lot of men and women, but definitely women who are my age, I have witnessed anyway. I mean, so much of their time and um, energy goes into, you know, raising their kids. So mm. without that, I mean... I do have a social life and I have friends and that is fulfilling to me. But really, my, my creative work is probably the center of everything that I do. When you find yourself in these these periods, and because I, I can't imagine this is the first time that you found yourself like this or you feel like you're kind of in a rut. Um, are there things that you've done to try to pull yourself out of them? Like. You know, you always hear people say like, you know, the inspiration hits or you take a break or you walk away or, you know, are there things that or have you just never experienced something? I really like haven't that? experienced this before because I've always kept myself busy. So I feel like I've just kind of been coasting. I feel like I've really just been been coasting businesses. I mean, I the way that I've set my business up is really truly passive income. I mean, it, it, it requires maintenance, but I've been doing that. But that maintenance is not true creative work that involves uh, problem solving or creation. I mean, I'm so glad that we're recording right now because this is probably the most creative thing I've done uh, in the last month, aside from recording last time. So yeah, it was either me creating work for myself or I'm someone who typically has no shortage of ideas and things that I want to do. I think the difference now just in this very brief period of time is I don't feel like I have the time to execute anything. So I'm not letting myself. So maybe this is not really a creative rut. Maybe this is just 
me complaining about something that is so stupid and I need to just be okay with just taking time and, you know, watching a lot of Netflix and (laughs) feeling guilty about it, but I shouldn't be feeling guilty about it. But I think the reason that I even brought this up to you as a topic is I think that people do go through true creative ruts and do get into situations where, especially someone like you who works a full-time job, who gets handed projects and you don't really have a choice. You can't say, oh no, I'm going to just, you know, watch Netflix. You have to get your work done because you have an assignment and that's what you're getting paid to do. So I feel like there is more to say on this topic. Maybe just, I hope that our listeners don't think poorly of me for, for complaining about this, which is really not a serious problem. It's just what I've been experiencing for the last few weeks. But I think it can lead to, um, not a serious problem, but I think it can certainly lead to enhanced frustration in your role. Um, you know, I think when you get that feeling of panic that kind of comes from, um, a creative block, um, you know, whether or not it's just a lack of purpose, um, like you're talking about in this moment, cause you know, mm-hmm. that's not going to last Yeah. or a true creative block in the sense that you're sitting down to work on something and you're staring at a blank screen or, you know, a blank word document or a blank mm-hmm. design document, or that can be a really lonely feeling. Um, Definitely. And I, I think how to sort of navigate that takes time. You know, I can remember, and, and I still don't profess to be, you know, an expert in it, but I can remember being in, in college. Um, I had a professor who, uh, it always seems to go back to some professor that you had in, in school that like made like, you know, a huge impact on you or just open your eyes to something. And, and it, it never ceases to amaze me how frequently this trick, if you will, helps me now. But it was a creative writing class and the whole, well, I think it was expository writing, but we did a lot of, of, you know, it was from a creative standpoint. And at any rate, we had to do a lot of, write a lot of different Style in, in a lot of different styles of writing. So one of them had to be, you know, you you had to teach somebody something, how to do something like an kind of so what's that kind of writing, like an instruction kind of writing, or yeah. Um, but you had there were so many different styles, and at any rate, I was not the best writer. I sucked at writing all throughout high school. I I've, I can't I've, believe that to be true. Yeah, no, I I did not enjoy writing, and um, you know, it was as bad as if somebody said to you like. You know, if somebody said, Steve, you got to write a paper and it's got to be at least 200 words, I would get to 200 and stop because, I mean, I would finish the sentence, but that's, it wouldn't be a word over 200. Question. Okay. Why were you on the paper if you hated writing and didn't think that you were a good writer? I hated it prior to coming to college. Okay. And that's, that was kind of the, that was kind of the key. So I, I was not somebody in high school who, who enjoyed writing. Looking back at it, I think a lot of it was assignment based and I'm not blaming teachers or I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that when you're told you got to write something about this, you're writing something about this book you're reading. Well, if the book is, if I don't like the book, I mean, I can't write something that's going to make me feel really excited about, you know, that, that topic. I think what spoke to me so much about the expository writing class, the creative writing class was that you got to pick some of these, these topics and you got to decide where things were going and how it was going to sound and couple that with getting a chance to work with this professor. His name was Bob Kester. He really opened my, my, my eyes to writing. And a lot of times we would spend, you know, sometimes upwards of an hour after class, just kind of talking about 
writing and talking about, um, you know, certain, certain, you know, traits of good writing and, and trying different things. And, you know, I remember telling him one point, you know, one time on this particular piece that I was kind of stuck on, you know, where to take it and how to go with it. And he would often talk about just, you know, walk away for a little while. And as simple as that sounds, we all do that now, um, in many aspects of our lives, but he goes, just walk away and you can go for a walk, come back, sit down, and see where you are at that point in time. And without fail, it would always sort of reinvigorate me. And, and you know, all of a sudden you'd see things, you know, you'd, you'd go, okay, I think this is where I want to try. And, and, and it might not even be because of the walk. It might've just been like getting away and going down a different path and then seeing where that kind of, you know, takes you that would really open up my eyes. Still do it now. If I'm writing something, if if I'm working on a layout of something for for a you know uh, you know some kind of social design element, if things aren't clicking, if things aren't working, I gotta walk away. I, I gotta I gotta take a couple of minutes to just clear my head because I know when I come back, I'll see it differently. That would be my my you know my personal trick, but you know I know that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Not to make this into a writing centric podcast, or maybe it it will end up going that way, but. I'm really jealous that you got to take that class and I didn't. I kind of had a somewhat similar writing experience as you, except my um, downtime, I guess, was in college. I grew up always writing like I was that kid who would you know, write stories and was always really good in English. It was one of my strongest subjects. And then my first semester of college, I took a writing class that I did horribly in. And I really did not connect with this professor at all. Um, And she, I think I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but that made me feel like, okay, I'm I'm not a good writer. I'm not a writer. And years went by throughout all of college and years after where I would say, I'm not a good writer. I'm not a good writer. And then I really uh, came to realize what you said. It's you have to be writing about things that you care about. And once I started getting back into it and, and writing about things that I, you know, my heart was really in, I realized from people telling me and just kind of realizing it myself that, okay, I am a good writer. I may not always, my grammar may not always be 100% accurate, but. Um, the way you say the word hot dog might not also be, you know, exactly, <laughs> but whatever, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so it, it makes me sad that, you know, maybe things could have gone another way if I had had another professor or if I had pursued doing something with writing. I've also shared on the podcast before that my secret job that I've still want to do but haven't done anything with is I want to be a TV writer and I have actually had the thought not that I'm about to hop on a plane to uh, Hollywood or anything but in these last few weeks um, not that I would write a script but I'm like maybe I should just write like fiction like just for fun but there is that stigma that's like I all right I've never written anything professionally before yes I've had blogs but that's all been 
self-publishing, but then you ask yourself, are all writers people who are English majors or who set out to be writers, or are they just creative people who who one day said, I feel I, I have the story I want to tell, or I have these ideas, and I'm just going to do it and see what happens. Yeah, I think that's really, really it. I think you've, you know, you kind of answered the question that it's, it's usually because it's not because I think you're a good writer. I think if you can tell a story or if you have a good story to tell, that's usually what sets apart people because it's interesting. It's interesting writing. I feel like Jay, like Peterman here, that's interesting writing. Yes. <laughs> like it's, it's an interesting, it, it's, it's an interesting tale. Like the same professor from St. Rose, one of my favorite stories to tell, and I actually worked this into a blog. We'll put it into the show notes. I wrote a blog about this, this specific professor. Oh, this is the same years guy? Ago. Yeah. And, um, one of my favorite experience, like we didn't get off to a great start for this purpose, but I'll, I'll tell the story just to give you a little bit of context. Um, so it was my second day of classes at St. Rose as a freshman. And it was, um, like a terribly rainy day and the class started at like, I don't know if it started at like two 30 or four in the afternoon. It was something like that. It was one of those late afternoon classes. Um, and I had to walk from our dorm to this building and the building wasn't like, what was the building that was across the street from Albertus Hall? It was like a St. Vincent de Paul. It was, that, that was the building. And it was this little like short squatty, you know, it almost looked like you walked in and it had like this JCC feel to it where it was just yeah. like they had like a little front desk and then like, you know. Yeah, our, just, our campus was, was is kind of a, it, it was almost they, they took over an, a neighborhood basically. Like our school was not built to be a school. Right. Initially. No, it was, like, I mean, it, there were it was a lot built of, into a neighborhood. Yes. But as it grew, like it needed space. So they would take, you know, they would rent out space from uh, buildings from, from University of Albany and, and um, you know, some of the surrounding buildings around, you know, the main part of campus. So this is where one of those, cla this, this expository class was. At any rate, I walk into this building and none of the, none of the, the rooms have numbers on them. It's literally just blank, you know, doors with no, no signs or anything like that. So I'm trying to find on my map, like, okay, where is this freaking classroom? So I stumble into a unlit classroom for a second to kind of gather myself and see where I am. You're a freshman, you're kind of lost, you yep. know? So I flick the light on in the classroom and there's a guy in there and he's kind of facing the window and he lets out this like annoyed sigh and um oh and you should have bonded right away over that <laughs> i know because that would be my reaction too now um but he he turns around and and we make eye contact and i'm like i'm, I'm sorry to interrupt and i'm just like i'm looking for room whatever it was 123 or something like that and uh he he looks at me and he just goes like i was meditating he's like it's so hard to find some quiet time these days and like we kind of just stood silently for a second. He's like, uh, it's the second door down on the right. I said, thank you. And I flicked the lights out and off I went. So I get into the classroom and these rooms are really small. And the, and the desks were set up in like a U-shaped pattern around the perimeter of the classroom. So like to walk to your empty desk wherever you were going to sit, you had to like – turn side saddle and kind of like slide along yeah. the wall to get to the door. It or wasn't to get to handicap accessible or anything like that. Oh, no, that's for, that's uh, for certain. So I get in, I sit down 
it's a room full of 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids. Nobody's talking to each other. Like, it's it's super awkward. And all of a sudden, the door opens up, and here comes the meditating man into the classroom with his back. <laughs> I love briefcase. this guy. Now I'm even more jealous that I didn't get to take this class. <laughs> Puts the briefcase down on the table and, and says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Bob Kester. This is expository writing. And I was just like, oh, no. Like, I, I just pissed this guy off 10 minutes ago, and <laughs> this is the professor. So that was our introduction. Um and obviously that didn't last. It, it certainly started our relationship started to develop from there. But I wrote that story out and in this blog, the whole there's a little, you know, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. But there's this whole backstory behind that, that introduction. And like of all the things that I've written in my life that I'm proud of, at least that story is probably the one I'm, I'm, I'm most proud of only because of it's it's interesting, like, you know, that the the, the irony of of pissing off a guy 10 minutes before he becomes like your favorite professor of all time, him being instrumental in me finding a career path that, you know, I didn't think was going to be where I was going to go, helping me to this day, you know, now 15 years out from from taking that class. Anytime I have a creative block, it's usually the first thing I think about. I mean, that's really you know, cool. That you, a, he really made and teachers make yeah. such an impact. Yeah, they really do. Negative really, and positive. That's true. That's true. You've had a few of those. We've documented that. Yes. Uh, also, to put this into our timeline, was when I drove you home like a week after this? Just about. Or a few days after this? Just about, right? Because it was the first, I, I was up there for two weeks and I came home, I think, after two weeks. So that had to be, it was about a week after that. Yeah. Yeah. Then I left you and didn't drive you back. You didn't. And I had to take a bus home. <laughs> I had to take the bus, Michelle. That was, you grew you up that day. Until, you haven't lived until you've taken the bus up to Thruway in New York State. No. Two oh, transfers. That is an adventure. I haven't lived. So when you're in the middle of like some kind of creative block, how do you challenge yourself? How do you find your way back to steadier ground? I think the first thing that I try to do is to ask myself, is this really a creative block? Like I just can't think of an idea or is there another problem at play? I think a lot of times people will label something as a creative block, but in reality, it's maybe that they're overtired and they just, they need a break. And like you said, they need to just kind of step away. But it could also be that the person or ourselves feel inadequate like especially we just, you know, talked about we both have struggled with with writing in the past. And I could see that happening where I may have said, oh, I'm I need to write this thing and I'm having a creative block. But I may just be having feelings of I'm not a good writer. I'm not good enough for this. This is not going to be good no matter what I do. So in addition to taking a break, I think another beneficial thing that we can be doing is to really get real with ourselves figure out any issues that we have, any blocks that we have, and try to get over them. Because ultimately, I, I think that that is a creative block that will never go away until those issues are resolved. Yeah, it's funny. I always, there's a there's a great quote from um, Chuck Close, um, mm. who's a, a renowned photographer and, and artist. And 
he talks about how inspiration is for amateurs. You know, everybody's waiting to be inspired by something and it's supposed to just click and you're going to see it, you know, straight and everything's going to be great. Um, but he's like, you know, true inspiration comes from putting in the work and true inspiration kind of comes from making mistakes and overcoming them and seeing how to correct them. So when you get confronted with it the next time, you kind of are able to push right through it and, and you know, you know where the, the, the pitfalls are going to be. And I kind of like that because you know, I, I think that that sounds that that's always equated with like writer's block or a creative block of some sort where you're you kind of walk away and you're waiting like, you know, like I said to you, like I walk away and I go for a walk or I walk away and I clear my head for a couple of minutes. Like I'm not going to clear my head to find inspiration and wait for like, you know, beam of light to kind of just, you know, make everything make sense. It's more to just kind of get away from it. Coming back to it, all of a sudden you kind of look at it again and you go this doesn't sound right. This word placement isn't right. That doesn't really seem to flow properly. That I think is where that walking away piece is helpful. But I believe you, you kind of overcome the creative block, the more often you're involved in these types of processes, because you know what the project needs. I even think sometimes we make it out to be, what do we need to do to make this project better as opposed to what is the project need? You know, what oh. is, what is, you know what I'm saying? Like what, you know, we could talk about goal setting and we can talk about, you know, who's your audience and all of those things need to factor into it. But a lot of times it's, we think it's us, but this is a living, breathing thing too. what you're working on. What does it need to be successful? I love that. It also helps just to take ourselves out of things. Sometimes we get in our own heads and we think it's all about us when it's really not. That was something else I was going to say is, knowing the purpose and and the objective why are you doing it why are you working on this project is it because you felt like doing it and then you know remember what is the reason why you started it in the first place but if it's something you know like work related like it's an assignment think about the people that it's going to be serving and how it's going to make an impact on them because really i think that every creative um, piece that we are involved in Yes, it's partially expression, something that we have inside of us that we want to share, but ultimately it is to touch and make an impact on another person or ourselves, I guess it could be. But I feel like most of what I do is with other people in mind. I think a lot of times the better ideas are simple ideas, um, you know, they or simple ideas lead to um, the more desirable uh, outcomes. Recently, we were doing something, you know a little bit about this, but recently we were doing something with our, our, our communications team here that I'm a part of. Our, our communications team just turned 30, uh, which is really exciting. It's a really big milestone for us. And we had a little celebration uh, a couple of days back. I had been asked to kind of organize something to um, acknowledge this momentous occasion. So I kind of pulled together a team of people who I I know I work well with and who have great ideas. And we sat down to do this kind of game planning out of what this was going to look like. And, um, what we thought we would do, um, cause I had a couple of videographers, like we thought we would do is like some kind of skit based thing where we would have, since we have, you know, four, uh, well, three decades, but since it started in 88, we'd have 1988, 1988, 98, 2008, 2018. And we would do snapshots in those years of like what the service look like at that point in time. And obviously there'd be some embellishment and there'd be this and there'd be that. So we, you know, we were thinking like an 88, like we would, we would like 
decorate the set that we'd be that we would build with like 1988 centric things like you know certain music posters from that era and certain you know uh, political, you know, Mike Dukakis and all these other things, like just kind of like in the background of the cubicle. But the more we started like playing this idea out about how this is going to work, like the more you realize like this is really clunky, like, and it's, it is, it is as good of, as an idea as it sounds like we'd have to have, you know, people playing the role of other people, or we'd have to have those people who we want to like have featured in the scene who are on our team play those roles. And are they going to be good in it? And are we going to do it like, you know, uh, where people memorize like a script or are we going to do it? Like, um, what was the thing that Michael and Holly did at the picnic? The, um, the skit that they acted oh, out about, um, it, you know forget- what I'm talking about, was but it? like a live. Yeah, it was, it was a parody on a, on a movie, right? That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. Like, can't remember what come the movie to me. is. But like some kind of like live action, like just let it go and see what happens. Yeah, like improv. Um, yeah, and the more we thought about it, they're like, there's a lot of holes here. This isn't going to probably be as funny and and what we ultimately want it to Sounds be. Sounds awesome to me. I would have been all about this. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and some people were like, I, I had a I had a colleague actually go out and buy like go go to a thrift shop and buy like. Costumes? Clothing that would be yeah, clothing that yes. would be appropriate for like the 1980s, and I feel bad about that because we never ended up going in that direction. <laughs> but like, we pulled back for a second, talking about simple ideas. Like, we pulled back for a second and said, okay, what are we trying to do here? Like, what's the ultimate end game that we want people to take away from this? And really, we knew we wanted to have some fun. We knew we wanted to make people laugh at one point in time. So we we ended up. Um, Asking if anybody had any old photos from, you know, the early years of our organization uh, to which we had like a huge reply of like, I bet you we got about 100 photos from people and, and things. And like the photos then we realized could probably we could make the photos tell any story we want if we write a script that like leads into what those photos we think are showing. So we kind of did like a a video that brought everybody back to the 1980s and we did like profiles of people. So we did some interviews where they were telling, honestly telling stories about things that happened in that time period. But we wrote the voiceover to kind of weave in and out and, and provide some transitions and be funny. The photos actually were able to kind of like tell a story that really didn't actually happen, but you know, it, it worked within the confines of the piece. People we did it. And, the stories. And, <laughs> and it worked. And, um, I think people really liked it and, and we had a good time with it, but we realized like if we just simplify the idea as opposed to trying to make it out, like, what does it need? Like it just needs simplification. It just needs to be an honest, you know, we're taking the six people who, who were here when the service started and we're letting them kind of tell the story of the service and embellishing a little bit here and there just for a laugh or two, that would be fine. That would work. Okay. Um, and it did. It turned out really well when we had the celebration. So I think that's kind of a main takeaway for me all the time when we're when we're working through something and we want something to be something. It's easy to get carried away with whatever that be that to be process is. I think the first thing I try to do is simplify and and pull back. And how are we what are we trying to communicate and what's the most direct way to do that? And then let's see what we can kind of build off of that as opposed to starting at 30,000 feet. So you think that creative ruts can come out of trying to do too many things and being misdirected? Because I I feel like what you just described um, 
where you started with your project with the costumes and decorating the set and having scripts is how I go into most projects. I want it to be this elaborate production, but is that hammering my point home? It's not, it's not even so much, is there a simpler way to do this that won't take as much time, but is there a simpler way to do this to make a bigger impact? And unfortunately for someone who like, you know, likes all the, the drama and the sequence and all of that, I think that the simple really is more impactful in the end. So yeah, although the sequence have their place. Yeah, of for course. Yes, of course. Yeah. And not, not for me, but of, of course. <laughs> or glitter. Um, Steve oh hates God. glitter. I, so. I've, I've learned, I've learned to recently hate other things too that come in mail and come in envelopes and like shredded pieces of paper. paper. <laughs> I had to, I sent Steve something or I didn't personally send it. I had it sent from the supplier I use for my customers and forgot that they package things with my company logo and stuff on them and it's it's sent with all this pink stuff so steve sends me this photo and says what am i supposed to do with this <laughs> what am i supposed to do with all this crinkle paper seems like it's just a waste. seems like you paid more for shipping because it was uh heavier than it should have been but yes. um yeah i i do think that's part of it i i, I think a lot of times we 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 aim to be bigger with our with our ideas sometimes and sometimes it calls for it, and sometimes we have to navigate that too. But I think a lot of times we, we, we put ourselves in these creative blocks. It's our own doing. It's our own fault. Simple ideas are the best ideas. And if you think about a lot of the content that you consume on, on social media, uh, and in life in general, they're really based around simple concepts. They're really based around things that don't require too much thought and too much, I mean, I'm not saying planning on the part of the people who did it, but it doesn't require an over, a, a large amount of, of, of thought. You know, you're really trying to boil down your key message points and what you want people to take away and what that message and communication is. And you're trying to build around it something that illustrates that. It doesn't necessarily have to be this big show-stopping number. I think it can be something that is, don't laugh. We need those, be, though, sometimes. <laughs> I don't think you, we, we, don't, we don't all need show-stopping numbers. Um, I think you need something that just resonates, that has a, that has a, a, a message point, whether it's through writing, uh, whether it's through a hook in music. I mean, some of the more beautiful songs that I listen to have the most simple hooks and they get stuck in your head all day. And I often ask myself when I'm watch when I'm looking at something on social, if I like something on, on Instagram, um, or if there's a song that kind of stands out to me, sometimes I just stop and ask myself why, like, what is it about this piece of content that is, that draws me in? And a lot of times it's the simplicity of it. A lot of times it's the way I feel, you know, the emotion that it invokes inside. And you try to remember that because it's really easy to get sucked into trying to do something bigger and better than you did the last time. I had a, uh, when I talked with um, Shane Haggerty a couple of weeks ago on his podcast, I talked to him a little bit about like there's a certain challenge when you create something awesome. The next time you sit down to create something else, you feel the need to better it yeah. because 
you're paying attention to the reaction that it got as opposed to the context in which you're operating in. And it's come, sometimes it's completely different than what you were just doing. So every piece is new. Every piece is different. The carryover that exists might exist in your mind, but it doesn't necessarily have to exist in, act, in actuality. Yeah. I'm, I'm now realizing that this, this worthiness may play into creative ruts more than I even thought coming into this. Maybe most creative ruts at the heart of it, like that is the problem where we go to do something. And even if we've, we've done something successful, like you just said, knowing the next time around that you now have to live up to that and make it better when maybe it's just doing the same thing, you know, talking about a different topic or, or whatever. And I think that we've run into this problem or I've created this problem, even, even with creating the podcast, a lot of times we'll, we'll throw ideas around and I'm often like, well, I don't know. What if people don't like that? I always mm. have that thought. You ever watch those behind the scenes um, shows that they have? About- <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see your YouTube search history one of these days. It cannot possibly rival yours. That's true. We should post that one day. Like that should just be like, you know, just, you know, here's the last 10 things I've searched for on YouTube. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think Steve it'd be kind of, I think it'd be scarring for people. Some of the... I don't want to say strangest because I really do appreciate a lot of the very random things that you send me sometimes, but it is, it's unique. A lot of the things that you send me, I think, wow, there are other people out there who would even search for this or that uploaded it. It's truly bizarre. I just send you a a ton of 1970 variety uh, shows, Johnny Carson interviews and yeah, yeah, yeah. But think about it. Like how many times have you seen like, you know, the real story behind a movie and everybody who's being interviewed says like, oh, we didn't think this was going to be that good. We thought it was horrible when we saw the final cut. I just watched Ferris, this, this whole thing about Ferris Bueller's Day Off a couple of weeks ago and it was the same reaction from everybody. They saw it. They saw the final picture and they were horrified by it really? and they just realized like this was going to be the end of our careers and and it becomes this cult hit. And you never hear somebody when they talk about writing like great music, like, you know, you and I can wax poetic about Billy Joel and, and and Piano Man all day. Piano Man was not a hit when it came out. Piano Man, I think he thought was it was was not as good. As, I mean, it was it was about something that took place in his life. It was about yes. a story. But I think some of the greatest pieces of content comes from telling your story or telling the 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 story that you feel like needs to be told without actually trying to work towards making something great. And instead, just allowing that thing to breathe on its own and find its own path to relevancy. Not every one of them is going to, but it's the story and the intent behind what you're working on that I think allows that to have the chance to become something good. So simplify and get to the heart of things and don't worry so much about whether or not people are going to respond to it because often it's not even what we think it's going to be. And people miss people interpret things the way they want to interpret stuff. Like you know, you, you and I can listen to a song or we can read something and, and I can look at it one way and you could look at it as something completely different. And that's the beauty of art. That's the beauty of creativity. And I think we have to be comfortable with allowing people to see it for for what it means to them. I mean, you know, there have been countless opportunities over the last couple of months for me where I come across a song or I come across something that reminds me of something from you know, my past or whether it has something to do with my mom or, you know, but I don't know if the artist's intent was for me to interpret something that way, but that's where my mind goes. And that's okay, you know, because it means something more special to me than it might to somebody else, or it might mean something completely different. And I think 
that's kind of it. Like we create something and this is where I was getting up before about getting out of not making it something that we think it needs, but letting the project kind of stand on its own because once it's out there, it's up for interpretation. That's kind of the deal that we have to make with ourselves. I think in this industry is yes, we have a goal. Yes. We want somebody to come away with it and, and, and take an actionable, uh, off of whatever they're looking at or whether they're, whatever they're embracing. But what that is ultimately is is really up to them. And that's got to be something that we're okay with. I agree. So did I solve your problem? I think my problem is going to be solved just by I'm leaving in a week, going away, coming back, starting fresh, and knowing that I have this blank canvas to work with. And I'm hoping that while I'm away too, um, it'll give me some time to think about what I really do want to do next and Maybe it will be something crazy and maybe this can be a discussion for a future podcast, but I feel like I would love to talk about creative people and we've, I know I've said this quote before, because we just posted this in this past week, but how important it is for creative people to do different things and not feel like they're pigeonholed. Um, That's something I feel very passionate about. So I may want to follow my own advice and we'll see. I mean, like I said, I've had this kind of little itch in having this downtime that maybe I should do some sort of writing project, which is something I've, I mean, I guess you can count my blogs as writing projects, but a true writing something like a book or a script or something and seeing where that goes. So yeah. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at pod creatives on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and let us know what stood out to you the most. Looking forward to hearing from you. I'm going to do an episode when you're not here. We'll call it the one without Michelle. Who are you going to do it with? I don't know. I'm not even sure I know how to record anything on this episode. <laughs> I'm so reliant on you in so many aspects of my life that I don't think I'd be very Should good Should I leave you own. written instructions before I leave the country? Probably. 